Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that's as bad as listening to your aunt and your mom argue in the kitchen about the proper recipe for fruitcake. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you with a very different version of your favorite weekly show. Why? Well, first, let me tell you, as you hear this show on Tuesday night, I am in Los Angeles. Uh, my great uncle passed away over the weekend, and as the uh, executor of his uh, estate and will, I had to fly out Monday morning to Los Angeles. My guest tonight is Russ Hicks, and Russ was kind enough without much prompting to uh, jump on the phone with me and record this on Sunday night because uh, we had to jumble people around because my Tuesday night guest wasn't available to pre-record so here we are 100% pre-recorded for you. Uh, In uh, pipe parts tonight Russ is going to ask me some questions and we're going to talk a little bit about whatever questions he's had to think of in the last (laughs) three hours. (laughs) Sorry Russ. Uh, in the normal interview segment, we'll learn a little bit about Russ, but I think what'll be fun is Russ and I have discussed a few things and we're going to look at the pipe smoking hobby from the hobbyist standpoint, which he is purely a hobbyist and me from the uh, business side of it, because I'm mostly on the business side, um, music, we'll have music and mailbag and all that and a, uh, I don't know if I feel like ranting at the end, but I'm sure I'll come up with something. So, lots to go over in tonight's show. A little different format. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you understand that uh, this was uh, thrown together pretty quickly. So, all right, everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> in fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show, and as I said, joining us on the phone right now is Russ Hicks. Russ has taken time away from his uh, Christmas family vacation, so Russ, welcome to the show. Hey Brian, thanks. Thanks for having me. 
Alright, so for pipe parts, instead of me pontificating about something, what do you what do you want to know? What what are your questions? Oh, well, um, let me think. Uh, I, I do know that you're a Virginia Perique smoker, and uh, I myself am a pretty straight Virginia smoker. I would like to know, what is it that you find so compelling about Virginia Periques? Um, you know, I think in, 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 uh, in comparison, the minute you add Perique to a, uh, to a, uh, to a blend, um, Virginias are, you know, in all honesty, most Virginias are just too subtle for me. The flavors aren't bold enough or the flavors aren't, there's not a wide enough amount of flavor. Um, when you get that Perique going in there and you've got the blend done correctly, it amplitude, it, it amplifies or works works with the Virginias to accentuate the natural sugars in the Virginias and then kind of like the alcohol sugars in the Periques. Um, and I think that's what, I think when when a lot of people see Perique, I think they think that it's going to have this almost pungent punch to it, but when it's done right, it's got a little bit of a Periquey punch to it and just kind of widens the amount of flavors i mean does that does that make sense yeah yeah it does I, I, have you ever just smoked perique straight by itself i have and it's uh i mean it's quite an experience um it's it's high octane <laughs> uh, I mean, what's happened with you when you when you've tried a virginia perique blend what what did you get out of it well, i i get a lot of different things out of it um you know, because I, I, I have, my palate is so attuned to pure Virginias. I think I've tried everybody's pure Virginia from, regardless of who it is. But, uh, it definitely adds, uh, a spice. There are a lot of, um, uh, character that comes out that to me isn't in pure Perique. When I smoke pure Perique, I get, uh, 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 just too much. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. But I think uh, certainly it's one of those things where the uh, um, the, the whole is greater um, than the sum of the parts in that in that case, and it brings out flavors. I mean, I hear a lot of guys talking plums and raisins, and I get all sorts of notes out of it. But I think it's the pre pulling out those notes out of the Virginia. So I, I find that interesting. That uh, you know, that you, it sounds like you sort of think the same thing. Have you ever smoked a Virginia that has been just so soft that you didn't get much of a flavor from it? No, I, I really haven't. And I think that's why I like Virginia so much is I have a, I don't want to call it a refined palate, but I have a, a strong sense of smell. As a matter of fact, it's one of the reasons I like pipe smoking so much because it tones down my sense of smell. Because if you have a, if people that have a strong sense of smell know this, the world smells awful most of the time. <laughs> so, so it's been nice to, you know, to be able to, to tone it down. But, um, yeah, Virginians are very, they are subtle, but when you, for me, when I get into them, there, there's so much in there. There's so much complexity in them, um, that, that I really enjoy it. And it doesn't need for me to have anything added to it. But if I were to add something to it, Perique is the thing that I like. So, I, I guess I look at um, 
I look at the Virginias and the and the Perique as like I do some of my bourbons. There there are some that I absolutely am fine with drinking. Just just pour the bourbon in the glass, maybe put three little droplets of water in it just to open it up a little bit. The others I need some ice and I need to I need to tone them down a little bit. And once I do, I get the flavor just right. But uh, I mean that's really it. it Perique just gives me a different depth and a different level of depth and, and more intensity out of the smoke. No, it sounds great. What else you got? I'm, I'm completely, I'm completely about uh, pipe smokers trying to find um, the, the best flavor that they can have. So, and I think uh, Perique and Virginia are perfect compliments. Um, next question. Um, you know everybody in the industry, but I was wondering if there were any, uh, you know, maybe historical pipe or tobacco figures that, you know, passed away before your time that uh, you wanted to meet, and if so, why would, would you have wanted to meet them? I would love to have been able to sit down just on the on the manufacturing side, on the business side of it, uh, I would have loved to have been able to sit down with Joel Sassini uh, because Joel started out working for Alfred Dunhill in the factory, was the, was the plant manager, and then, you know, four or five years afterwards, they separated, and it was a bitter separation, uh, in my opinion, which I'm the leading expert on. Uh, some of those, those 1920s-era... Sassini's smoke better than what Dunhill was doing in a smooth pipe. I would love to know what, I'd love to talk to Joel, ask him what Alfred was really like, uh, probably get a real unadulterated point of view of it. And I would love to hear what it was that he did differently when he started his own pipe company. Uh, and what makes his, his smooths and his rusticated smoke so well, yet at the same time he was working in the Dunhill factory, and he knew about the uh, he knew about the Dunhill shells and how they were being done, but he couldn't make a sandblast in his own factory. Uh, I'm I'm almost willing to bet that there's a that it had to do with a couple of the patents. So Joel decided, you know what? I'm not even going to try to do that because I'd infringe on Alfred's patents for the shell briar. So he just decided to make a much better smooth or rusticated pipe. Um, but that's the guy I'd like to, I would love to know what was going through his head and sit down and talk to him. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, that definitely sounds like that was probably a legal debacle. Surely he knew how to do the sandblast when he was working in that factory. Hey, let's take a break right here. When we come back, we'll get into our uh, traditional interview segment. We'll learn a little bit about Russ. Uh, we'll talk some more. I got some, uh, we got some Christmas kind of a theme question running for the, for the segment. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? 
Oh, signore, this truly is molto dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Mm-hmm. Hey! Sightlift Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Balto Dolce blend in public. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and Russ, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, Where did you grow up, and when did you start smoking a pipe? Um, I grew up in Mississippi. Um, My... uh my grandfather, who was the first person I'd ever seen smoke a pipe, he was from Waynesboro, a small town in kind of south-central eastern Mississippi, really close to the Alabama state line. And um, But I mainly grew up in the Jackson area. We lived in Jackson for a while and, and later in Clinton. Um, I mentioned my grandfather because I started smoking a pipe right after he passed away. Um, that was in 1987, so it was, it was that 28 years. So, um, yeah, and I was I was underage. I won't say how much, but <laughs> I was definitely too young to be smoking a pipe at the time. But um, I, uh, I picked it up after he passed away. I got some of his pipes from my grandmother, and I pretty much never looked back. So almost 30 years. So the, the reason I wanted you to go through that is so that people know that you're not just some upstart new to the hobby person. Uh, you started off with your grandfather's pipes. Do you remember the first pipe that you bought for yourself? Um, I, I, I do. Um, I paid five dollars for it. It was a uh, Stanwell Danish Star. Um, I got it at an antique store, and there's a long story behind it. But that was the first, you know, like high quality factory briar that I owned. All my granddaddy's stuff, he sold in his drugstore, and they were Medicos, Dr. Grabo's, Missouri Meerschaums, things like that. So, so it was a big step up when I went to a Stanwell. And then where did you go to school, and what did you end up doing for, for a career, which you're still in the middle of, because you've got two young kids and a wife and, uh, and bills to pay? Yeah, so I, uh, I graduated from Clinton High School and uh, the center of Mississippi, Um, and then I went to Mississippi State University and got a few degrees in aerospace engineering, which uh, uh, taken me, you know, to multiple companies all over the world traveling, and uh, I do uh, aerodynamics and stability and control for Gulfstream at the the moment, but uh, I've been involved in flight testing and all, all sorts of things, wind tunnel testing and computational fluids and things like that. So um, Mississippi State did me did me well. They've allowed me to make a living for, I guess, 17 years now. So that's kind of my background. So do you think if, uh, if, if Kevin would cough up the money finally, do you think you could get uh, design a Pipes Magazine radio show G5 that looks like a pipe? <laughs> 
Well, no, probably not. You you would uh, have to pay a tremendous gas bill to drag a pipe through the air at Mach point eight or eight <laughs> eight eight five is I think how fast the five goes. So um, now you probably want to keep the same shape, but we could put a nice paint job on it and make it look like a pipe. Well, that just wouldn't be the same, but we'd have to have the exhaust coming out the top. Well, yeah, there would definitely be smoke coming out somewhere, so it would have that going <laughs> for it. Uh, through, the other thing that you do is you are uh, quite an artist, which uh, includes a absolutely wonderful picture of uh, a certain Mickey Mouse smoking a pipe that my wife is pretty sure was made to resemble me somewhat uh except mickey's got a smaller nose and a better looking face uh you all i mean you're quite an artist and you must have learned that in school and do you still do it full-time or part-time or yeah i um i mean art is something that i i just did naturally since i was probably three years old i think i've you know, my, my parents tell me stories of taking me around and having me draw cartoon characters for their friends. That you know, here's this three-year-old that can draw the Flintstones or Scooby-Doo or Popeye or whatnot. And and so, um, you know, I just kept doing that. And uh, I thought I was always going to I was going to be an artist. I thought I was going to be a comic book artist. But I I um I tried to get into the industry right out of high school, and uh, it really didn't work out. And uh, which is a shame. I wish I wish it had. I, I I would really enjoy that, but it's a lot of work. And uh, so I took other other paths and became an engineer. Which I don't really consider myself an engineer. I feel like I'm more, if there is such a thing, right brain. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I still draw. Um, as a matter of fact, pipes have allowed me to kind of get back into doing some work. I know I've done some work for Ole Sylvester of Monstrosity Pipes. I've done some uh, advertisements and things like that for him. And I've gotten to illustrate some ghost story books from the Savannah, Georgia area where I live now. So, yeah, I try to I try to do as much as I can. And uh, I, I kind of picked that back up when my, my daughter started showing an interest in drawing. So um, I'd really taken about 20 years off, you know, after college. So... Um, but yeah, it's back in a, it's back a part of my life, and luckily I've been able to mix it in, you know, with my my pipe smoking hobby. Do you, do you smoke while you draw? Um, yeah, if if uh, it matters what I'm doing, usually the finished product I do in my studio, which is inside, and I typically don't smoke inside. Uh, I have I have pretty bad allergies, and I find that. It helps me if I'm, you know, in a well-ventilated area to smoke. And plus, my wife and my kids don't particularly like it. They, they might like it more if I smoke more aromatics. But, um, but if I'm sitting outside sketching, coming up with ideas, which is really where I feel like the tobacco helps you the most uh, when you're trying to be creative. Um, yeah, I, I get most of my ideas in my sketchbook, and I'm usually sitting outside on the back porch, and it's a big part of that, no doubt. All right, now you got to answer this question for me. Uh, does does Mickey Mouse look somewhat like me? Yeah, that that Mickey Mouse was definitely supposed to, uh, in some ways, mimic you, but still hold true to uh, Walt Disney's original vision. So, yeah, he he did look like he had a little bit of a dumb attitude. Well, we 
won't talk about that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, so is is pipe smoking a daily ritual for you, or does it kind of fit into the schedule wherever it fits in? You know, it it uh, it does fit in. Where I, I try to make it daily. I, I really do. Um, but um, you know, I would say I, I'm. I try to get in a bowl a day if I can. I have. You know, in my cellar, I probably have 50 to 100 pounds of tobacco, which I will probably never smoke in my lifetime. But, um, you know, I've got a lot of stuff stashed back, and for some reason I keep buying more. And uh, so I've got to get rid of it somehow. <laughs> uh, party at your house with all your tobacco? Absolutely. Come down anytime. You only live uh, three or four hours away, so... Yeah, and... It- and it's halfway to Walt Disney World where I saw you last. Uh, when did the uh, when did the enjoyment of the Disney parks come in? Oh well, so my I think my first birthday. Um, it's been in nineteen seventy two, so I'm going to date myself. But um, we went to Walt Disney World in uh, Orlando. Of course, I don't remember it, but. So we started up there, and, and my family has always been really big into Disney. Uh, I wanted to be a Disney animator when I was young, and you know, I just loved everything that was Disney. I thought it was very magical. And, and of course, being into art, you know, it naturally takes you to, to Disney if you want to uh, see some of the best of the best in creativity, animation, well, what they would call Imagineering. I mean, it's just it's brilliant, as you know. And so... Um, so they started us very young, and my parents went back, you know, quite a bit. And I would go back every several years. So when my daughters came along and they got old enough, my wife thought it was uh, it made sense to get season passes, and we've been doing that almost four years now. And I said, we go, oh, I hate to say this, but about once a month, so it's a lot. Remember that part where I said that I liked you? I'm not so sure anymore. But I guess if I lived four and a half hours away, I would go once a month, too. So, <laughs> uh, uh, do you remember the tobacco shop on Main Street? I I really don't. I wish I could say that I did, but I I, I know where it is, um, or where it was, but um, I don't remember it. But I know that I was in the park when it existed. So. So it was, uh, it was around you. The the smell was there. Right, right. Um, with your with your art in particular, do you do commission work? So if somebody wanted to have like a, a a picture of them drawn with a pipe or a picture of their favorite something some favorite character of theirs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I. I uh... I love doing commissions. I uh, uh, whatever somebody wants, I you know try my best to give them exactly what they like. And uh, um, my my style is definitely kind of comic book cartoon based, um, but I, I can pull off different styles as most artists can. And so yeah, whatever anybody's interested in, feel free to contact me. Where is the best place on the internet to go and see some of the stuff you've done? Um, I, I, uh, let's see, uh, my DeviantArt account would be a good place to go. Uh, it's, uh, Rick's Art, and that's, uh, R-H-I-X, 
ART.deviantart.com, and uh, they can reach me at ricksart um, at gmail.com. But uh, I, I post some stuff on there, not everything. I also have an Instagram account, which is also ricksart. Um, so, and, and I post things on the Instagram account that I, you know, that you won't see on the DeviantArt account or my art station account, things like that. So, but they, yeah, so there's definitely some places on the internet to check some of the stuff out. Uh, there's a really cool looking, I'm not sure if that's a swamp thing or whatever it is, but he's smoking a pipe and there's green gas coming out of the pipes. So that must be a straight bowl of Perique. <laughs> Probably. I think he actually pulled it off of his shoulder and stuck it in his pipe. But uh, yeah, that's one of the Ole Sylvester commissions for Monstrosity's Bog Beast pipe. And uh, if you haven't checked that out, next time you see Ole, grab one of those because the bowl coat, when you when you smoke it and heat it up, it it warms up and turns into like this. It's not gooey, but it feels a little fleshy. So it's pretty pretty slick. <laughs> That's <laughs> ew. All right, we're gonna take a break right here. When we come back, we're gonna play around with some ideas of uh, different sides of the hobby. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. And we decided that, uh, you know, we're, Russ and I talked about this quickly. We're going to kind of uh, kind of go after the Christmas Carol theme and do the past, present, and future from the hobbyist side and from the business side of our wonderful little hobby. So, Russ, go ahead. Take it away. Okay, well, um, I guess uh, let's start with the uh, with the past. And I guess we'll talk about uh, tobacco. I know for me, toba- the past for tobacco for myself is aromatics. And uh, I know I started with, like, tinderbox blends, and Captain Black was a big part of 
what I smoked and Wilshire 1Q, a lot of the lane stuff, BCA, RLP6 and whatnot, stuff, stuff my grandfather had in his drugstore too. And so I was just wondering for you, what is, what's your past tobaccos that you start out with and what do you remember and what do you like and dislike? You know, when I, when I started really digging into, I mean, the first tobacco that I, that I tried was Prince Albert cherry and I'm, you know, happy to say that my tongue is still here with us because that was in a corn cob with absolutely no training whatsoever. Um, but when I when I really started digging into it, we had the standard bulk tobaccos that you'd find in a smoke shop. And I think what, you know, I, I didn't at that point know how to pack a pipe. So now when I go back to some of those aromatics just for, for taste testing... I know how to pack it and I know how to smoke it. So I get a whole different experience out of it. Um, but I was, I tried essentially everything that we had in the store. And then when I worked for Dunhill, I tried everything that we had in the store, but I was a little more cigar centered then. Um, it really wasn't until I came to work for Peter Stokeby and, we had an old blend called Luxury Twist Flake that had some dark-fired tobaccos in it and some African Virginias in it. Uh, and that moment with him explaining the tobaccos to me and explaining how to smoke it, that was the that was the moment that set me on the way of the Virginias with a little bit of extra something in it. Uh, and then shortly after that, I tried a Scudo, and that was like early... 2001 and I was pretty much hooked on Virginia Periques and uh and Virginia's with uh, dark fired in it. So my my past wasn't really focused in one area. Um it was more trying to figure out what was going on. Um it was also when I figured out that you know what I'm sorry, Latakia and I just don't get along. Does that make <laughs> Does that right, make sense? Right. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. Well, I, I think uh, a lot of pipe smokers spend, you know, years, decades even, trying to figure out what all's out there and what it tastes like and why it tastes the way it tastes. And I know I certainly did. And it took me a long time to get to get to a place where I knew knew what everything was and what it tasted like and what I liked and what I didn't like. So. You know what else I want? I want to just interject in the when you started smoking in the you know in the late eighties. Um, the leaf quality, the actual raw tobacco leaf that was used in those aromatics was a much higher quality leaf than what's available now. Uh, and that's because Philip Morris and their infinite wisdom decided that they were going to just lowball everybody and go do contracts directly with the tobacco farmers and with them buying most of the leaf in the United States, there was no more, there was no longer an incentive for a farmer to grow a high quality leaf. Uh, it just, they just had to grow a mediocre leaf to fit the bill for what Philip Morris had agreed to pay them. So, us in the pipe tobacco world, we kind of got uh, the short end of the stick on that because they had no incentive to really grow any higher grade. I mean, we pipe tobacco used to get like the top two or 3% of the leaf. 
set aside for it and then everything else was sold to cigarettes well now it's all just mid-grade uh, and the <laughs> you talk about the future of tobacco it's just going to get harder and harder for us tobacco companies to find medium to medium high quality leaf around the world uh, especially if you look into Africa where you might have a a, a tribal leader or dictator take over a small country and cut off all the tobacco farmers, which has happened in the past. Uh, how how is that for an answer? Yeah, well, it's great, but it leads to another question that uh, yeah, I guess a lot of people that are in the hobby wouldn't really know. They may know by their tongue, but they don't know, you know, by from a business point of view or or even how the process goes. But what really makes high quality leaf? Is it you know, to me, is it, is it in the seed? Is it in the way that they, uh, you know, harvest the crop at the right time and the way they cure it? Or I could know, or I feel like I know that some of these, you know, boutique uh, tobacco companies uh, are getting some very high-quality leaf from somewhere. So all is not lost. Hopefully that's happening. At least it tastes like it is to me. So where, where is this high-quality leaf? How rare is it, is it going to get? And... And do we need to stockpile now? Uh, short answer is tobacco is never going to be cheaper than it is now. It's never going to be more available than it is now. And my feeling is, you know, if you can afford to put some aside, put it aside. Um, what what happens is in the fields, and I'm not an expert on growing tobacco, but I'm an expert on my own opinion. Uh, you get certain farmers that do have buyers for high-grade leaf. Uh, and you look at some of the smaller, smaller blenders, and even some of the, some of the folks like the, like the, uh, at McBaron, the factory does look for specific high-quality leaves for some of the blends. Uh, you have some farmers that are still passionate about putting out a high-grade product, and the difference is, you're right. It's the soil. It's the strain of the of the seed. So the the seed ha the seed itself has to be a strong, uh, a a strong seed, not a watered down hybrid. Um, and then it's the handling of the seed and how does. You know, how does the farmer treat it? Does the farmer make sure that it's irrigated correctly, fertilized correctly, uh, cut and harvested and cured correctly and at the proper time? Um, and then a lot of it, and you'll see it with some of the smaller guys where, where they'll do an annual, uh, well, you know, they'll do a release of a special crop. Uh, some of the some of the pipe the smaller pipe tobacco companies. Uh, that's where their, where their sources came to them and said, Hey, look, I've got this, you know, I've got 12, 1400 pounds of this and it's really good stuff. Take a look at it and see what you can do with it. Um, but stuff like that's going to get harder and harder to do as some of those farmers quit. And as some of that tobacco becomes less available, uh, I mean, for, from, let me let me turn it around and ask you this question: uh, In your years of smoking, have you noticed a change in taste or flavor of a blend or two that you 
you know, used to smoke versus compared to now? Well, um, I, I, I guess I have because I, I don't know. I, like I smoked a lot of aromatics early on, and they they did start tasting, you know, less and less favorable to me. And I didn't know if it was just my palate that was uh, maturing. Um, I was also introduced to English blends and Latakia from our local tinderbox at a pretty early age, and I started smoking McClellans, uh, you know, like uh, Frogmorton and things like that. So I, I did about a decade where I wasn't smoking aromatics, but the the but I'm not so sure that that it was because I noticed, hey, this isn't the same quality. I think aromatics some, sometimes are so hidden by casing or topping that you don't know if you're tasting tobacco, if you're tasting flavoring or whatnot. Um, but I, I did know when I moved over to English blends that the tobacco really came through, and um, but that kind of waned for me as well. I, I fell out of love with Latakia, similar maybe to what like you did, and it was mainly because of the smell, not so much the taste, but the smell of other people's smoke in Latakia when I moved to Virginia. But uh, I definitely have a fear of, of losing some of this high-quality Virginia leaf that I think I've stockpiled pretty well. But uh, hopefully somebody will take up the banner and, and try to continue to, to produce this type of tobacco for us. You know what I think? What I think is interesting that I don't think a lot of people have thought of is that uh, pipe smoking really started to see a major decline. Uh, and I'll give you my past, present, and future of of pipe smoking. Uh, pipe smoking in the late '60s and into the early '70s was still an all day long, daily, habitual smoking, and there were some very good drugstore blends that were available during those times. But then as cigarettes became more popular and smoking became less of a uh, less of an acceptable all-day thing, um, I think some of those tobacco companies in the 70s and into the early 80s actually did a disservice to the industry by, instead of trying to improve the quality of what they were doing and make it a better experience, they decided to cut back in quality uh to make more money uh, you know to make the the same amount of money out of lower volume uh they you know they went they i don't have any proof of this but i could see where uh you know even some of the great blends of the 60s and 70s like edgeworth and even balkan sobrani uh, where some quality and cutbacks were made as the blends went down and down in volume. Uh, currently we're at about, uh, we're at about one twenty fifth of the volume of what, of what the pipe tobacco world was. Oh, about 35 years ago. Uh, so right now we're at a crossroads of transitioning from those everyday habitual smokers into people like yourself that smoke once a day. Uh, people like myself that smoke three or four or five bowls a day are fewer and farther between. Uh, but what we're doing is we're transitioning into, and this is where I think the tobacco companies that are on the market now are looking at uh, creating a better experience. And we'll get to the point where there's a whole bunch of, I'm coming home at the end of the night and 
I'm going to sit down with a pipe. Um, I'd be willing to bet right now that, Russ, you've got probably three or four blends open that you're smoking out of where in 1968 or 1970, a guy would have one blend and he'd buy one blend all the time. Uh, and that's yeah, the... Yeah, yeah. I have... I, I think I have 68 tens open right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was a little I was a little short on the one or two, um, but I think that's where the pipe smoking world is going. I think that's where the uh, where the alcohol consuming world is going. Instead of a guy coming home from work and drinking a 12 pack of beer every night now it's somebody comes home and they have one glass of good wine or they have one craft beer that they really like uh and they might have in their in the refrigerator instead of having just a full case of beer they might have a mixed six pack of craft beers that they picked up from the specialty store um but that's the future that i see Yeah, well, that makes sense. And I, I also think, you know, with a with a pipe not being, well, I don't know how many pipe smokers actually inhale. I, I I personally don't, but I'm also not addicted to nicotine, so I don't have to have it all day. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the pipe is that you can just come home and have one or two bowls in the evening. You don't have to have it all day. So. Yeah, let me ask you about pipes because when you when you started smoking, you talked about that five dollar pipe. Uh, you know that you bought for yourself. Uh, the I think the artisan pipe movement has uh, has actually made pipes a little more reasonable than they were fifteen twenty years ago when Dunhill was the class of pipes and was the was the benchmark. Um, when you got into pipe smoking, what was the what was the most outrageous high price that you thought you would pay for a pipe? Oh, um, well, I know going into the tinderbox and seeing, you know, there were there were two hundred, three hundred dollar pipes. This had been, you know, in the late eighties, and you know, I was working at a movie theater. I made fifty dollars a week. There was no way I was buying anything like that. Um, I wanted it, but I. I just couldn't have it. And that's why, like I said, there's a long story of how I got that um, that Stanwell, that Danish star, which was like a Sixton Everson shape. I had no idea until much, much later. But, I mean, I smoked that thing because it was my best pipe. It tasted the best. Its engineering was the best. And, um, you know, and there was such limited information back that in that time. It's kind of pre-Internet. You, know, you really didn't have anything other than those box pamphlets or if you happen to know somebody and I didn't so I feel like I spent you know 20 some odd years floundering around trying to figure out what to do experimenting on my own but um yeah I, I would say $25 is what I would spend on a pipe if, if I could and I really didn't I only had a handful of them so maybe maybe three while I was in high school and early in college so my collection didn't start growing until much, much later. And now you go out, you've been to a couple of pipe shows, your pipe collection's gotten a little bigger. I mean, what's a, your wife's not listening. It's after Christmas. Everybody's asleep. Um, 
What's a what's a standard price pipe for ones that you look at purchasing? Um, I, I like to I like to hit around the four hundred dollar range. I think there's a lot of value from the artisan pipes there. I've kind of stopped buying factory pipes. I have hundreds and hundreds of Nordings and Savinelli's and you know whatnot, Castellos and things like that I've bought over the years. I mean, I probably have maybe three hundred pipes. And I'm trying to thin that down because I don't smoke them all, obviously. I mean, I have, I have enough pipes to smoke a new one every day. <laughs> but I only like a handful of them. You know, it's given me a big enough sample to realize that, hey, all these pipes aren't the same. They smoke different. They taste different. And the, the taste is everything for me, the taste and smell. So, um, but yeah, I, I would entertain if it, was, if it was somebody that I knew, a really great artisan, and it was amazing work, and it was something that, something that I really, really wanted. I'd probably spend $1,000 for it, but more than that, it would be hard for me to justify spending over 1000 On a uh, On a first-time pipe carver, somebody that you've never smoked one of their pipes before, is there a price point that you're, that you're hesitant to go over? Well, um, you can, well, as you know, you can look at their work and tell where they've been. I know enough pipe carvers now and hung around guys, you know, like Bruce Weaver and, you know, Rad Davis and Scott Dealey. And, and I've spent a lot of time with Ole Sylvester, who doesn't, obviously by choice, doesn't make beautiful pipes, but he can if he wanted to. He's got the pedigree. And, uh, you know, and I have I have tons of artisan pipes to fall back on. Uh, you know, some stuff from Steve Liskey or Paul Tatum or Trevor Talbert. All these guys, I look at their work because I sit there and smoke it all the time. So when I go to a new pipe carver and I pick up what they have on the table, um, I pretty I feel like I can see a little bit of what's going on. Obviously, I would know a lot more if I were making pipes myself, but I know what I like. And uh, so the price that I would spend, if it was a really, really good pipe, you know, I, I would spend, you know, 200 250 on it. But typically, brand-new carvers, like first time out of the, out of the gate, I like to stay in the $100 price point, unless their stuff is just phenomenal and other people are talking it up. So, What is, right now you've got enough pipes that you can smoke one a day. What do you think the future of your pipe collection is going to look like? Oh, it's definitely going to be smaller. Um, I hope to somehow figure out how to part with, with some of my pipes and, uh, you know, a lot of my factory pipes. Now, the, the artisan pipes have special meaning because I, all the artisan pipes that I have, other than a couple, I know the people, I've met the people. And I really like that connection that you get. So, and, and the work that the American artisan pipe maker is doing right now is just phenomenal. And uh, I, I have a hard time finding a factory pipe that means as much to me as, you know, an artisan pipe because of the personal connection and also the quality and they, you know, and it's also somebody that you know that you can call and say, Hey, I'm having this problem or my dog chewed off my stem or something like that, which has happened. So, so you could, you could see yourself with a, with a uh, much smaller, but, uh, but more, uh, more precise collection. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I've got hundreds of Nording pipes, and while I love them, none of them pass the pipe cleaner test, and they 
they're really heavy, huge bowls, and I've just I've just gravitated away from them and a lot of the other factory pipes. But uh, and there's some of them that I still love. I mean, my Costellos and my our doors and uh, and the other thing is I do not own a Dunhill. I've wanted one for so many years, and I remember my wife and I went into a Dunhill shop in Houston at the Galleria Mall there, and I was going to buy a Dunhill. I was had the money in hand. I had like six hundred dollars. I was going to plop down. And the people in that shop were so rude to us because we were like this newly married couple. We were in our mid-20s. And the lady basically told us we didn't have enough money to buy anything in their shop. So I, I turned around and left. So I, I don't own a Dunhill, but one day I will. I plan to get a birth year Dunhill, but it had to be the perfect one. So. You know that just reminds me of the perfect rant for this uh, for this episode. I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because I had a uh, I, I almost I almost called it a pretty woman experience at a uh, jewelry store. So <laughs> yeah, uh, getting chased out. Um, all right, well we will uh, wrap this up with the fast five final questions because nobody gets out of this show without doing them. No right answer, no wrong answer, no, no wrong answer, and I can't speak either. So here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. I thought I was going to get out of it, but okay. <laughs> what is your favorite pipe? Favorite pipe? Um, it's got to be. <clears throat> it has to be a briar. I love the pot shape, and uh, because of guys like Bruce Re- Weaver and uh, Rad Davis, I'm in love with with uh, ring grain sandblast. Probably a group two or group three size, and uh, I don't know. I like the I like the really long shank too. I like the the smoke to touch the briar for a, for a long time. So that's that would have to be that. And, and I like a thin ebonite bit. So if it had all those qualities and the engineering was just right, um, it would be that pipe. And it just so happens to be this pot Levant that um, Bruce Weaver made me earlier this year. I'm really enjoying that. So. Something like that would be my favorite pipe. What is your favorite tobacco? <laughs> Pick one of the oh, 60-something. <laughs> say again? Pick one of the 60-something that you got open. Oh, okay. Well, um, it's got to be McClellan's, Virginia. It probably, you know, like a number 27 or 5100 red cake or, you know, something like that. But obviously they're Christmas cheer. I smoke probably a pound of it a year. So, but I could go on and on about McClellan's Virginia. There's no, no, uh, no end to what what they're they're doing and the goodness that they they have. Even in their other lines, like the stuff they tend for Patera, the Golden Cake and Mature Virginia Ribbon and things like that. So, yeah, it's, that's what it's going to be for me. And it's been that way about 15 years. So I don't see that changing. What's your favorite drink? Favorite drink? Um, well, I, I worked in a movie theater, as I told you earlier, and uh, so my favorite drink is properly bricked fountain coke with shaved ice, like from a diamond auger ice machine. That's to me, that's the perfect drink. Now I can't drink that when I'm smoking because to me, soda and smoke just don't complement each other. So I'll drink like a ice ice water or ice tea, like black tea or green tea. But I love a good well-mixed Coke. I'm going to change this up. Instead of asking you what you want to do and you relax, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Are you ready? All right. What is your favorite dessert at Walt Disney World? Oh, man. So every time we go, my daughter goes to uh, the 
I'm sure that it's not the best dessert there, but at the end of a day in the park and you're exhausted and you sit down with this ice cream sundae late at night in the Magic Kingdom, it's wonderful. So we enjoy that, you know, at least once the trip. And last but not least, any particularly favorite pipe smoking memory that we haven't talked about? Um, well, uh, my grandfather um, smoking his pipe is usually what I say to this. But I, I will, last year, my brother and I met, our families met in Gatlinburg. And uh, we had, uh, we got to smoke a pipe together. I'd given him a, a Rad Davis pipe for his graduation. I think I had one of my Rad Davis commissions. And we sat out in this cabin in the hills in Gatlinburg, smoking our pipes together and listening to the radio show. It's the first time we'd ever been able to do that together. So that was a really special memory. My, my brother Jerry, um, I'm sure he's listening. He's a really special person to me and, and also a, a, a pipe smoker. And I'm, I'm definitely responsible for him probably becoming a pipe smoker, much to my mom's chagrin. But... <laughs> Russ, thanks for doing this. Uh, hey, will you stick around long enough so that you can uh, comment on the mailbag so we can keep this going and hear your comments on it? Absolutely. All right, stay with us. We'll be back with uh, more fun and uh, Russ Hicks. <laughs> This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corn Cob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corn cob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Craftsmanship. History. Tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany, Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Baron Tobacco Company and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. This is Internet Radio. Russ and I are back and uh, alright, so for music for tonight, Ricardo Santia sent me a link to their newest album. The band is called Bad Habit and uh it's definitely heavy. It'll definitely kick your new year off in the right way. But uh, Ricardo Santia playing bass, Bad Habit, the song is Remington Park.
You can find more Bad Habit music on SoundCloud.com. Check out SoundCloud.com and search for Bad Habit. There's a whole album worth of stuff up there. Well, let's see what's in the mail. In the mailbag. And uh, Russ, help me out if I say anything stupid or anything sounds funny to you, but I'm sure it will. Uh, John Seiler writes, Hi, Brian. I see I logged in correctly tonight. Good for you, John. Uh, My strange pipe tradition is to smoke my Santa Claus Meerschaum once a year during the Christmas season. John Crosby dove into the deep end of the pool when he visited the Chicago Pipe Show four months after starting a pipe. Yeah, he did. Um, I think he exemplifies the need for a steady job while getting into pipe carving. You don't get rich quick. It is refreshing to see someone who makes a pipe just for the art in itself. I believe I've seen him at the Chicago show. Anyone who likes McClellan 5100 is a friend of mine. Uh, Russ, have you met John? John, your new friend, Russ. <laughs> uh, John says, uh, great interview. Note to Brian, a Boilermaker in Pittsburgh is a shot and a beer. A shot with a beer chaser. Okay. Uh, music, he liked old blue eyes. You can't beat Derbinger at the holidays. And uh, Rant Rave, he agrees. Have a nice Christmas, Brian. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, Bill45 writes, My holiday tradition is smoking my Ben Wade Golden Matte Freehand that I bought 30 years ago at Tinderbox. It was the first high-end pipe I ever purchased. It cost $150, and I had to put it in layaway and make payments on it. Uh, Russ, did your Tinderbox offer layaways? No. No, we did not have that opportunity. It was cash, or I, I paid cash for everything, because I was underage but anyway. <laughs> uh bill goes on to write john crosby was a very interesting individual great choice for music i like the traditional i like the old traditional christmas songs have a merry christmas uh let's see going on uh scott thiele scott thiele grandpa scott thiele writes another fantastic show brian helped me survive yet another session on the elliptical machine of death and despair this afternoon I don't know about you, Russ, but I think every time I think of somebody doing something healthy while listening to this show, just makes me laugh. Um, where is it? I lost it now. Well, you uh, know, uh, yeah, go well, ahead. You know, Scott looked really good at the New Orleans Pipe Show, so whatever he's doing, keep keep going. We, uh, I, I, I love him to death. He's a great guy, and of course his son is the best mandolin player on the planet. So yeah. if you haven't checked out Chris Thiele's playing. You've done yourself a disservice. Yeah, and uh, Chris has taken over Prairie Home Companion, so he's he's off and running again. Uh, Let's see. Scott says, uh, I especially enjoyed the unusual Christmas traditions, along with Bing and Burl. Uh, We have a skeleton crew for Christmas at our home this year, too, but look forward to a more relaxed celebration that, that that will afford. Hope your son finds a way to bless some folks and finds himself blessed as a result. Uh, the interview with John Crosby was fantastic. John was very active on the Pipe Makers Forum when I first started making pipes in 2006. I enjoyed meeting him at a show in 2007. I think it was the first St. Louis show. Uh, but it may have been Chicago that year. 
I found a lot of encouragement and inspiration from both his pipes, his posts on the forum, both Kurt Bosey, Tyler Beard helped a bunch of us coming up through the years. Did I read that right? Yeah, okay. Uh, John has his own style and he found it early on. Always enjoyed seeing him at a pipe show and miss him and seeing his excellent pipes. His pipe concept sketches are wonderful too. Merry Christmas to you and your family, Brian. Uh, let's see. Let's go on. Al Jones writes, uh, my holiday tradition is to smoke a 1940s K Woody church warden that I restored. It only gets smoked twice a year, Christmas and Thanksgiving. Uh, Krampus is also a Bavarian Alpine region tradition in Germany that my mother's family celebrated. We put our shoes out on December 5th in hopes of receiving candy and treats or switches if we were bad. Somehow I always came away with treats. A few years ago I found this ceramic Krampus that goes on our fireplace hearth that evening. My wife hates it and the tradition, so that makes it even more fun. <laughs> you know, I think if I put the shoes out, if I put a shoe out on the front porch of the house I grew up in, I think it would have gotten stolen. Just the the neighborhood I lived in. Uh, let's see. Dan Casey Ghost writes the Christmas tradition segment was a lot of fun. I don't have a smoking holiday tradition, but I have watched a Christmas Carol with Alistair Aim every Christmas Eve for some forty plus years. Family Guy would tell you Krampus serves the useful purpose of punishing bad children while Santa Claus just wants to spoil them. Uh, a number of years ago at the KC show, I met John Crosby, Adam Davidson, Steve Morissette. Really nice fellows, all of whom were just starting to make their way in the pipe world. I can't remember if I bought my first two Crosbys at the show or off his website. The second I got at the St. Louis show... I don't usually care for big bulky pipes, so John's pipes were made to order for me. For small pipes, they have a good amount of wood around the bowl, which I need. Maybe John will return to pipe making someday. Uh, love the Bing Crosby song. Very few of us today realize what a major player Bing was in the entertainment industry in his day. Huge in record sales, huge in movies, huge on radio, and he didn't do bad on TV. Um, I've always liked Burl Ives as a singer. I expected to hear Holly Jolly Christmas, but the reading of The Night Before Christmas was wonderful. Probably the more so because I didn't get around to listening to the show until Christmas evening. Uh, your advice to your son was spot on. If you're going to do a job, do it the best you can with a positive helping attitude You'll feel better, and those you help will be very appreciative. And every once in a while, you'll have a significant impact on someone's life. So there we go. How's that for a mailbag? That was a big one. Phew. All right, we survived it. Russ, I'll take it from here. Thanks for uh, hanging out with me. Yeah, thank, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I will. Uh, I've, I've listened to every show from the very beginning all the way up to now, and uh, I certainly will continue, as, as I hope others will. So thanks again, Brian. I appreciate everything that you do for the, the pipe hobby uh, group and also the pipe industry. So thanks a lot. And we'll have to hook up at Disney World again and actually sit down and smoke a full pipe full in the park and terrorize people. So we'll, we have that to look forward to. 
Yes, I'm looking forward to doing that. All right, we'll be back with rant time in just a minute. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for cupofjoes.com. Cupofjoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. Cupofjoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly pipes. Check out their remodeled website at cupofjoes.com and be sure to like them on Facebook, cupofjoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Cowboy. Cowboy. So I wasn't feeling like a rant until Russ mentioned that, and I've had my own pretty woman moment. Remember Julia Roberts going down Rodeo Drive, not dressed real nice, and she was told to go out and buy a dress, and she walks into this dress shop and they wouldn't take care of her. Well, I had a similar situation here in a uh, high-end mall near Charlotte, and I walked into a high-end jewelry store wearing a t-shirt, a sweatshirt, jeans, and tennis shoes, and proceeded to have a really hard time getting anybody to help me, getting anybody to come over and answer any questions for me. Uh, there were plenty of salespeople in there, there was plenty of stuff going on, but there was plenty of salespeople that someone could have come over and helped me, but pretty sure because of the way I was dressed, they were not interested in helping me. Uh, moral of the story is, I ended up going and buying some jewelry at a, another locally owned uh, jewelry store right across the street from one of my favorite smoke shops in town. So, the moral of the story for anybody that works in retail or works or deals with the public, don't judge a book by its cover, treat everybody equally, and we will all be better for it. Yeah, that one jewelry store missed out on a sale, and no, it wasn't going to set the record for them, but hey, it was still a sale, and they missed out on it. And I may not ever go back there. They didn't, you know, I looked at, I wanted to look at some of the watches and they just didn't have any watches that really excited me too much. Well, some. Anyway, uh, thank you all for uh, enduring with this uh, change of format here. I want to especially thank Russ for joining me 
Thank you all for tuning in. Please make sure have a safe, wonderful, happy, smoke-filled New Year's. And thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company. Until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Merry New Year! Happy New Year. In this country, we say Happy New Year. Ha! <laughs>